Well, today we are beginning a brand new sermon series on the book of Psalms. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or your phones. We'll begin with Psalm 1, which is on page 448, if you're using the Bibles here at the church underneath the the chairs in front of you. Now, um, some of you may be wondering if we are embarking on a three to four year sermon series today. (laughs) There are 150 psalms after all. That is not our intention. Uh, The goal is to preach a series of representative psalms throughout the book. Um, There there is a, a big picture structure to the psalms. It's it's split into five books, and um, it seems to be organized by similar themes. And if you want to hear more about that, you can come to our Sunday school class on the Psalms as it's being discussed in more detail. Um, but for our sermon series, we're going to be choosing which Psalms we, we include, really more based on their category than um, where they, they are in the structure of the whole book. They might not even be sequential. I'm not making any promises on that. Uh, so by category, I mean like lament psalms uh, or, or hymns of praise, psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, or um, in the case of this psalm, Psalm 1, this is a wisdom psalm. And you'll notice it sort of feels a bit like the book of Proverbs when you read it. But uh, this psalm in particular actually does have a place in the structure of the whole book because it's the first psalm, and uh, along with Psalm 2, it it serves as an introduction to the book. And so that's why we're going to start with Psalm 1. So let's go ahead and read it now. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's begin with prayer. Oh, Lord God, Lord, give us eyes to see today wonderful things in your law. We pray that you would confront us with your holiness, your righteousness, and you would comfort us with your grace and your love. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. One of the reasons I'm so excited to get to uh, preach to you from the book of Psalms is that really, I think, more than any other single book in the Bible, the Psalms present us with a Christian worldview. They show us how to live as a Christian in this world. You can open the Psalms and you can find prayers that show you how to struggle as a Christian, how to doubt and question as a Christian. You can find psalms that show you how to cry out and repent 
as a Christian, how to uh, rest, how to celebrate, how to rejoice, and of course, how to worship. In the Psalms, we learn how to think and act like a Christian in every season of our life. And if you're not sure whether you need that, well, Psalm 1 is a great introduction because it asks us the question, what is your spiritual diet? What is forming your worldview? What things and people are teaching you how to think and how to act? Are you planted by the water of life? Or are you blown this way and that, like dust before the wind? Well, first, look with me at uh, the diet you need. So that's my first point, the diet of the righteous, the diet of the righteous. Actually, though, the psalmist starts with the diet you don't need. Uh, People don't typically start with the warning. Your dentist probably doesn't start his annual cleaning with, white-toothed is the man who walks not in the council of coffee drinkers, nor stands in the way of sugary cereals, nor sits in the seat of lollipops and carbonated sodas. He probably begins by telling you to floss, 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 right? That's what he always tells me. Beginning with what you need to avoid, you see, stresses the reality of this warning. If your, your dentist were to begin by warning you about sugary cereals, you might suspect he thinks you're particularly tempted by them. So don't brush off the warning of the psalmist here. Uh, he starts with it because he thinks it's a real danger. Is your spiritual diet tainted by the counsel of the wicked? The counsel that you receive in your life from from people, books, TV, uh, the internet, it shapes your worldview, which can lead you down a deadly path. Notice the progression here from one who begins to walk in a certain direction based on uh, poor counsel, uh, then actually takes a stand with those opposed to God, and and finally sits down and, and settles in with those who scoff at God's people. This temptation could come from a a real person in your life or just as easily from the egocentric, morally lost culture that surrounds us. If you hear enough times that you should be able to decide what things are good and what things are evil, don't you think it will begin to affect you? You may think you have the power to choose your worldview or impose it on your children, but Psalm 1 asks, what is your diet? What sources of wisdom are most influential in your life? I don't want to sound alarmist, but I am deeply concerned about this, beloved. We need to ask the Lord. Show us a way to live that leads to you. Well, verse 2 tells us 
the diet that we need. We need to delight in the law of the Lord. Now, uh, this word law here, um, I think is not the most helpful translation, only because we tend to think of law uh, in sort of only negative terms, right? This standard that we can't measure up to that condemns and imprisons. That, that's a true meaning of law. It's just, it's just a very specific meaning. But it's not how the psalmist is thinking of God's law here. He says it's something to delight in. So we, we need a broader meaning, um, which I think the English word instruction gives us. In fact, some Bible versions use that word here. You see, the psalmist is not just saying, hey, repeat the Ten Commandments over and over again and you're going to be good. He's saying instead, delight yourself in all the words that the Lord gives you to instruct you. I mean, even what God's creation, nature, says to you can be a form of God's instruction. But Of course, the immediate context of this instruction is what this psalm introduces, the the whole book of Psalms. It's a book that instructs you how to live as a Christian. You may think of the Psalms as, you know, prayers or songs, but what they are more broadly is a model for life. And I believe a vital part of your spiritual diet. And what about this word, delight? Right? We may delight in a, a person or a, a beautiful sunset or a, a, a chair in front of a fire, uh, but <laughs> delight in instructions, <laughs> not as common, right? But you see, uh, this is the delight of wandering in a wilderness of mud that, that sucks you down or, or rocky, uneven ground that threatens to trip you uh, and then finding Right? A firm, beautiful path through the midst of that. I feel such compassion for the youth that I meet in today's world because it, it seems that they have no such instruction. They, they doubt their leaders. They doubt uh, what they learn in school. They doubt their news agencies, the supposedly all-knowing internet and the reality of their own bodies. They are floundering for lack of solid ground and a good path. The prophet Jeremiah cried out to the people of his day, stand by the road and look and and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But how do we meditate on this instruction day and night? Uh, you say to me, Ash, I'm not, I can't do my devotions all day long, okay? I, I'm a busy person. I've got to pay my bills. I can barely do that. I, I can barely even read a book to my, my child. That's not what it means to, to meditate on God's instructions. Your devotions may be a piece of this process, but what someone is talking about is, is a, a friend that walks with you, stands with you, and, and, and sits down with you, providing counsel for your life every step of, of the way as you live your busy lives. God's instruction is, is not supposed to be this, you know, well that you, you go to on the weekends when you feel like you need something spiritual. It's supposed to be a river 
that you've got your roots continually planted in. And to do that, it has to be your reality. It, it has to be your worldview, your authority, the glasses through which you see the world. And the question you need to ask is not so much you know, what source of wisdom do I eat the most of, but more, what source of wisdom do I submit to? Is God's instruction the loudest voice in my life? The authoritative voice in my life? You know, they tell me that cows actually uh, bring back up from their stomach chunks of food called the cud that they want to chew on again for a little while. Actually, my boys uh, sort of do this too. (laughs) I'll have finished dinner for about an hour and they'll still be chewing on that one little piece of meat that they had to eat. Look, Papa! It's still not ready to swallow. But that's what it's like to meditate on God's instruction day and night. We, We don't need to dedicate hours to our devotions or or read the whole Bible in a week. We just need to chew on it a bit more. Pretend you've got little boy's teeth or uh, a cow's cud and you know bring it back up throughout the day for a bit more chewing. Now this almost uh, he gives us a picture of the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He gives us this in, in verse three So let's turn to my second point, the life of the righteous. My second point, the life of the righteous. The life of the righteous person is like a tree, we're told. This is a a comparison using like or as, which is a simile, right? Uh, If you're going to, you know, you may not be a big poetry person, but if you're going to read the Psalms, three things to pay attention to, similes, metaphors, images, these are the building blocks of poetry. Um, they're, they're packed full of meaning. You identify them in the, the psalmist's original context uh, and then I- interpret them. So what does the image of a tree show us? Well, trees are survivors. Uh, they don't spring up in a day and disappear overnight, right? They're the oldest living organisms on the planet, They're not easily removed. I'm sure many of you know that. They have an impressive anchoring system of roots that for for some trees is even larger than what you see above ground. Uh, Let's put it this way. Trees have a future. They have a future. When When you plant a tree, you expect it to outlive you and your grandchildren together. And this tree has even more going for it because, verse 3, it's planted by streams of water. It has the right diet. This may not seem so significant to us Pennsylvanians because, you know, around here you can pretty much plant a tree anywhere and it's going to have probably enough water or maybe even too much water. But uh, in the dry world of the psalmist, 
where you saw trees, you knew there was water. And what does this diet do, this, this water that it's planted by? Uh, we're told it makes the tree uh, fruitful and uh, green. Uh, in other words, it does what it was made to do. It produces fruit, and it's not destroyed by, by drought or by disease. At the end of verse 3, the psalmist sort of summarized this whole image, this, this, the force of his image, and he says, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, <clears throat> look, this is not just an image. This is a promise. It's a promise. God is saying, the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked but delights in my instruction will be fruitful, will not wither away, and will prosper. Now, all sorts of questions pop up in people's heads whenever the Bible talks about prospering. So uh, let me just say, let me just be clear about what God is promising his people here. These are, these are spiritual promises, um, right? The diet is spiritual food. The, the fruit is spiritual fruit. And uh, the life that will not wither is a spiritual life. God is saying, when you delight in my instruction, you absolutely will bear good fruit. The, the delightful spiritual fruit of love and, and gentleness and, and peace and patience that, that pleases the Lord and blesses all those around you. And, and your spiritual life will, will grow all the more vital, all the more green, even perhaps as your physical body crumbles away and, and succumbs to disease, cancer. And, and in the hands of the master gardener who plants you by the water of life, your spiritual work will prosper. You will glorify your maker in exactly the way he wants you to. Even if perhaps uh, physically you are fired from your job or you fail as a musician or an artist or you don't make really a whole lot of money. The promise here is spiritual. But let me also say that prospering spiritually will have a dramatic impact on your physical life. Yet exactly how is in the Lord's hands. And he has a bigger picture than you can comprehend in mind. So claim the spiritual promises here. And then let the Lord decide what that will look like for you physically. The psalmist says in verse 6 that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows your way. And this really leads into my third point, the assurance of the righteous. So my third point, the assurance of the righteous. Uh, when verse 6 says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, it doesn't mean he has uh, only knowledge about sort of what direction we're going to go. It means more than that. It means that he, he knows the steps of our lives in a personal, relational way. Uh, in fact, the NIV translates this, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And if you begin um, to spin that concept out, it should give you incredible assurance that 
On the one hand, every step of your life is not meaningless, but filled with purpose. And, and, and secondly, that the path you are on has a future. No matter how dark the valley you may be in is now. If that assurance God gives you doesn't seem like a big deal, all you need to do is look at how the way of the wicked is described in this psalm. Back in verse 4, they're compared to chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the covering of a a seed that blows away when it's harvested. People wouldn't even bother to burn it or, or throw it away. In Israel, they would just stomp on the seeds to break the covering uh, from the seed, and then they'd throw it up in the air, and the, and the heavy seed would fall back down, and the light chaff would just blow away. No future. This is true of the wicked. They have no spiritual seed within them. They're just a dry husk. They can't be planted by the water. No roots, no fruit, no future. That is a terribly sad image. I'm reminded of a story I once read about a man who had climbed the the social ladder, he'd worked hard, he'd been very successful, only to find himself dying and suddenly very afraid about what was next. Uh, He heard his co-workers discussing who would replace him before he was even gone and suddenly realized that all he had lived for was just meaningless chaff. It it would blow away just like he was about to blow away. What a different life and death than one who has eternal hope. On the one hand, right, this hope, it gives you courage to face death. Uh, Maybe you've seen a strong Christian face death with, with courage and even joy. How different, right, their final days and their funeral than the uneasy ending of the wicked. But you know what? This assurance... It also gives us the power to sacrifice. It also gives us the power to sacrifice. Let me explain. If this life were all there is, how could you sacrifice something that could be your one hope for fulfillment in the few years of strength that you have? But if you have hope, For the future, if you know there is a resurrection and a blessed life beyond, it is possible for you to sacrifice all sorts of things. Think about this for a second. Our culture is obsessed with, you know, getting the most out of life. Uh, young people feel like they've, they've got to find that one thing they're, they're passionate about. Or, you know, they've got to travel the world, see all the places uh, middle-aged people maybe feel like they, they, they've got to give their kids exactly what you know, they didn't have or what they really think they need or they, they really want to you know, uh, hit that career potential. 
Uh, older people, maybe they, they want the, the easy retirement life, or, or maybe they're just bitter about what they missed out on. Be careful you don't live like you have no future. This life is only a quick run around the track compared to eternity. You don't need to worry about all the things you might miss out on. Jesus empowers you to do exactly what he commands you to do by giving you an eternity with him for all the things you can't do now. What blessed assurance is ours, family of God? But maybe you're not sure it's yours. After all, this is a very black and white psalm, isn't it? There's only the wicked and the righteous. There's no sort of wicked, sort of righteous category here. There's only the way of the righteous with an eternal future or the way of the wicked with no future. And so we are left with the question, is the way of the righteous within reach? Can I claim the assurance of this blessed man? Can I take up the book of Psalms and drink in its instruction as a tree planted by the water? And if Christ had not come, there would be no good answer to that question. But because Jesus came, I can confidently tell you today that the way of the righteous is within reach. That path was perfectly walked by Jesus. And he offers its blessings freely to all who submit to him as their king. In fact, (laughs) there's a sense in which we are not the tree. Ultimately, Jesus is the tree described here in Psalm 1, and we are the branches He did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, which means he can forgive your failures. And he can give you strength to resist their counsel as well. He delighted fully in the law of the Lord. He knew his Father's instruction intimately, and so he can draw us into a relationship with his Father as well, so that we also can come to delight in his life-giving instruction. His life was filled with the good fruit that comes from that spiritual diet. And he sends his spirit upon us to enable us also to produce good fruit. And every step of his difficult path was known by God so that he was able to confidently tell his friends that in three days he would rise which means that we also can be certain that every step of our path is known by the Father and He also will raise us up to new life. Claim this Savior. Claim Him in your heart today that you also may walk in the diet of the righteous, in the life of the righteous, and in the assurance of the righteous. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we do claim 
this Savior. For he is the one, Lord, he is the blessed one, the righteous one, who walked perfectly the way that is described in this psalm, Lord. And as we follow in his footsteps, we know we do so only in his strength, Lord. And so we submit to him as our king. And we ask, Lord, that through him you would strengthen us. You would give us your spirit. So that, Lord, we indeed might claim the diet of the righteous. We might live the life, this tree, Lord, that produces fruit and is green. And, Lord, we might have the assurance that he had, Lord, that you will raise us up. You will give us new life. And every step of our paths is watched over by you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.